Okay, let's turn in the Bible to Matthew 24. And as I said, we're going to take a couple of weeks and we're going to talk about the issue of prayer and mission. And what we're going to do is I want to just sort of lay out today what I'm seeing happening across the earth. And then next week, I want to just uh, explain how the Lord is positioning us to engage in so many ways. I'll probably touch a little of that today, but in, engage in so many ways. It's, it's as if the Lord has flipped a switch in three or four key areas that, that we are at this, I mean, this special time where we are, uh, I mean, totally, I just feel the invitation of the Lord. We are being invited into um, partnering with him in ways that we hadn't quite seen before. And so it's just such a good time. It's just such a fun time. So, um, I, I, in fact, people are asking me, so how's it going? And I said, this is one of the funnest years I've had in ministry Maybe ever. I mean, you have the awakening. That was fun. I laughed for 10 months. And then, you know, I had a couple seasons. But, man, this has been one of the best. Just one of the best years. And uh, it started when I shaved that beard off. Praise God. <laughs> Everything just got better. I told somebody it was like a snake shedding its skin. Not that I'm a snake, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> it just felt so much better after that. And... uh so anyway, it's just a good time. We're in a good season. And the Lord is speaking and the Lord is directing. And, and I love that. I love that. I love how the Lord directs our hearts into his purposes. So uh, today I want to lay out some things about prayer and mission. And then next week I'll talk about how we're specifically engaging in those things. Uh, Matthew 24. Very familiar scriptures. Um, Matthew 24. Look at verse 14. It says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And I've put in parentheses all the ethnos, all the ethnic groups of the nations. And then the end will come. The end will come. And the end that Jesus is speaking about is in response to what the disciples asked him just 11 verses earlier in verse 3. They said, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? What will be the sign of your coming and, at the, and the end of the age? And now Jesus is answering that question through Matthew 24, and he gives us as one of the chief signs of the end of the age and of the coming of the Lord is this issue of the gospel of the kingdom being preached throughout all the ethnic groups, all the nations of the earth. And so we've kind of known this. This has been kind of one of the trumpeting calls of most of the missions movements since there have been missions movements. I mean, you can kind of trace it back to, uh, you know, Zinzendorf and and. And the Moravians in Germany, and they launch, you know, missionaries over 120 years. They have a, a night and day prayer reality that launches in 1735. And, and they launch hundreds and hundreds of missionaries to the nation. Really the, the, initiation, the initiators of the, the evangelical uh, modern missions movements. And, and so from there, you have different thrusts of mission that have gone forth. I, I think about in the, the 1800s in our nation, the student volunteer movement, where the whole idea was to send our best and our brightest to the hardest and darkest to finish the task of global evangelization. And, and the vast majority of those that were sent, our best and our brightest from this nation, they went into unreached areas, and the vast majority of them died within two years in the, in the grounds where they were sent. Either by, you know, attack of the people that they were sent to, or by sickness and disease. They went all over the earth, and they were sowed like a seed into the ground. And I, I look at God's redemptive plan, and I realize that our nation 
has sown more gospel into the nations. And I think about those students, our best and our brightest in you know, the 1880s, 1900. And, and man, we sowed them into the ground as seed. And, and I look at what God's done with America and, I, and I'm sure he's not done with America. I'm sure that it's not over for America. You cannot sow that much into the nations without reaping it back, beloved. I am convinced there's yet a harvest to come for our nation. I mean a real harvest of awakening proportions. I'm talking about mass conversions, not just numbers added to church attendance. I'm talking about the real thing where righteousness and justice pervades the land. The real stuff. The real thing. This nation is going to see a massive harvest of souls. The way the Lord works, he's already set in place spiritual principles, spiritual laws that can't be undone. Whatever you sow, you will reap. And this nation has sown into the harvest so much. And we've yet to see the full reaping of it. And that tells me that that time of reaping is still yet ahead. And that's what I'm taking aim at. I mean, the scriptures tell us there will be a massive end time revival, a massive end time harvest. And I'm not going to go into it today, but I can lay it out for you clearly in the Bible. And I just want to declare right on the onset of this thing, God is not through with America. America will not be left out. There will be a massive awakening in America. We will see a third great great awakening. Like like we've never seen before, we'll see an awakening of, of mass proportions. And so... When I see these verses, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. In my own heart, what I know is, before the end comes, there will be a massive harvest of souls. Now, what this brings us to is this. The missions organizations, the key missions organizations in the earth, I'm talking about Campus Crusade for Christ, YWAM, Wycliffe Bible Translators, uh, Operation Mobilization, the Jesus Film, and so many other. They, They have all been getting together over the last 20 and 30 years and looking at the task of global evangelization, looking at finishing the task of bringing the gospel to the nations. They've taken this verse and made it a rallying cry and said, how can we now see to it that the gospel of the kingdom is preached in all of the people groups of the nations because we want to hasten the day of the Lord's return. And this has been, it's been on the mind of missions organizations literally from their onset, but this has been the key focus and emphasis probably for the last 20 years of the main missions organizations. And so they have taken a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of personnel And they have done mass amounts of research to figure out who are the unreached people groups in the earth, who are the unreached and unengaged people groups. I'll give definitions for those in a minute. To figure out exactly what the task is. It's one thing if you say, we got to reach the map that's back there. The whole world, we got to reach it. You know, let's just start throwing darts at it. I mean, there's one thing if you do it like that. These missions organizations have, have focused time, energy, and effort, and figured out all the unreached, all the unreached and unengaged, and they are right now mobilizing people to hit every single one of them. We are in the most unusual hour the earth has ever seen. They are very, very focused on finishing the task. That makes my heart tremble. Because... Though this verse, Matthew 24, 14, has been a rallying cry for the missions organizations ever since there's been missions organizations, we're now standing at a precipice that can be crossed where the task can actually be finished within a generation. That's real. That's real, beloved. And so for the first time, Matthew 24, 14 can actually be fulfilled. Let me break down some of the numbers for you. There is a term, unreached people group. Now that term, unreached people group, it simply means this. There is less than a 2% gospel penetration in that that group of people. Less than 2%. 
That means there's less than 2% uh, evangelical Christians there. Unreached. Uh, I get my stats from two places. I'll, I'll, I'll give them to you now. And you can corroborate these things. The information is all online. I've sat in front of leaders and they've talked about these details. But you, they've put all the information online and they keep it updated. So you could go and do your own research. I'll give you two, two websites. First one, finishingthetask.com. Finishingthetask.com. The second one, joshuaproject.net. They've got plenty of resources, plenty of information. Finishingthetask.com, joshuaproject.net. I'll give you one more, just for fun. Call the number two, all.org. Call number two, dot, uh, call number two, all, call to all, dot org. <clears throat> now, what they tell us is this. There's about 2,400, what they would say, unreached people groups that have over 40,000 in population in the earth. About 2,400. Now, again, unreached simply means less than 2% gospel penetration in those cultures. So about 2,438 unreached people groups with a population of 40,000. Now, what they've done is they've gone further and they've identified unreached and unengaged. Now, when we're talking about unreached and unengaged, we're saying... Yes, it's less than 2%. In fact, it's 0%, and they have zero workers. Unreached and unengaged. These cultures have not been engaged with the gospel. Unreached and unengaged. The number of unreached and unengaged, over 40,000, the community of people has to be over 40,000, is 476 in the earth. 476. Now, that might sound... Like, whoa, that's a lot of people groups. That's a, like, it is. It's a ton of people groups. 476 without a gospel witness. Well, Wycliffe Bible Translators tells us that there are about 340 million people on the earth right now without a translation in their language or their dialect. 340 million. These are large numbers. So you go, now, you just said that the task can be finished in our lifetime. What, what, these are colossal numbers. How is that possible? Well, one of the things that's happening right now in the, in the missions organizations, because of the focus on reaching the unreached, that number 476, unreached and unengaged, that number has been brought down from over a thousand unreached and unengaged people groups in less than a decade. What I'm telling you is there were 600 more, give or take, unreached and unengaged people groups as late as, you know, 1996. 600 have been engaged in about the last 18 years. The point becomes this. These missions organizations are so focused on launching missionaries to the unreached, the unengaged, that that number, having dropped over 600 within 15 to 18 years, now what we're looking at is that 476 number, they're all saying it. All the missions organizations are saying it, that those last 476 will all be engaged with a gospel witness in them within the next 15 to 20 years. If we reach 600 in the last 15 years, they're, they're positive we'll reach these last 476 in the next 15 years. Beloved, We're standing at a moment where the unreached, unengaged people groups of the earth, we're looking right down the barrel at it, and for the first time, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, 
And, and the, uh, the way that when you look at the charts, it's so interesting because there's these lists of what they call UUPGs, unreached, unengaged. These lists of them. And they'll have, you know, a color code on the charts. And white will be zero workers, zero engagement. And then blue will be, it's been adopted and they are in process of sending workers to it. And then green will be, they've actually now got workers on the ground. And when you look at this chart that starts with, you know, over a thousand of these UUPGs and now it's full of blue and green. And you're looking and you're going, oh my goodness, these people since Genesis 1 haven't had a gospel witness and right now in our lifetime, the gospel witness is going forth in those regions. 476 left. We've reached 600 of them in about the last 18 years. And here we are, beloved, with about a 15-year window. And that last 476 UUPGs, unreached, unengaged people groups, will have a gospel witness in their midst. That is the most exciting, interesting, scary thought If you digest it, you go, oh my goodness, we're staring at Matthew 24, 14, and it can actually be fulfilled in our lifetime. So, Wycliffe tells us of those 340, 340 million that don't have a Bible in their language, that because they are so focused and they've collaborated with all these other Bible translation organizations, they are telling us that by 2025, In the next 13 years, they're going to have a Bible available in every language of all 340 million. They've been aggressively collaborating, translating, and working with organizations like like, uh, the Seed Ministry and, and different ones. And this thing, this moment right now that we're in in the earth is seeing a mass expansion of the gospel throughout the nations. Well, the other interesting little feature about this is that all of these leaders, all of these key leaders of these organizations, they're not only saying, we've got to just preach the gospel. We've just got to preach the gospel to every person. We do have to preach the gospel to every person. We've got to preach the gospel in every one of these nations, all of these ethnic groups, all of these people groups. But all of them are now recognizing it's not just the gospel being preached to the nations. There has to be a uh, cooperation with prayer to power the gospel through the last bits of the, the unreached, unengaged people groups. And so these leaders are now joining hands. These missions leaders are now joining hands in a very focused and intentional way with leaders of the prayer movement all over the earth. Even to the extent that, like Lauren Cunningham came out in Kansas City a few weeks ago and he made a statement that he wants the house of prayer to fill YWAM. He wants YWAM missions bases to be houses of prayer. Places I have, he's not necessarily thinking 24-7, but they have a, a ceaseless focused intercession A culture of prayer that's launching their missionaries forth with targeted gospel messages. Now, come on, beloved. I mean, this is, this is amazing stuff. And that we're living in this moment. When you wake up tomorrow, this is the earth that you're in. When you wake up tomorrow and you've woken up today, when you walk out, this is the context of where the gospel is going forth in the earth, in the nations. And what I'm trying to tell you is this. Matthew 24, 14. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the earth, in all the nations, in all the ethnos, and then the end shall come. We are staring down the barrel at the fulfillment of that verse. Let me just give you this little parenthesis. Lest you believe that that is talking about every individual on the planet needs a gospel, personal gospel testimony, that's not what it's saying. It's just saying it's got to hit all the people groups. And because of the hard work of all these missions organizations over the last two decades, this thing is focused, it's dialed in, 
the missions organizations have got this thing in its crosshair and the church is being mobilized across the nations and then throw into that pot the Chinese, which I've got to talk, I, I'm going to talk to my contacts and ask them, do you, are you guys even like connecting to this idea at all? Like, do you know that this is what's happening? Because I don't know that they are necessarily, they may, they may not. But those things going together, beloved, we are going to see Matthew 24, 14. We're going to see its fulfillment. If you live 20 years from now, you'll see its fulfillment. Well, that last phrase of that verse is pretty intense. And then the end shall come. In other words, this is one of the key road marks that has to be passed. The gospel has to be preached in all the nations, all the ethnos. It's a key roadmark that has to be passed and then Jesus will return. Beloved, we're in the hour of it. We're in the hour of it. Somebody say amen. Either you guys are in shock or unbelief or shocked unbelief or believing shock or something. This is where we're living, guys. This is, this is the world you're, you're living in. It's the world you woke up to this morning. I know that the media doesn't say this. I know this isn't on Fox or MSNBC or whatever. This is on Jesus BC. I mean, this is on Jesus News Network, you know what I'm saying? This is JNN. This is what's the headline in heaven right now. Now, add to that this. I want to show you a few other verses, and a couple of them you already know, and then a couple of them I want to add a little detail to, and then we'll wrap it up for today. Flip over with me to Isaiah 62. Man, when I, when I talk about these things, my heart just gets, I just feel the heat of the Lord. I just get trembling. This is real. Don't be one that buys into I've got to live every day for the weekend and, and, and live every month for my vacation and, and live my entire career for my retirement. Beloved, you've got something more in, exciting and incredible to live for, the end of this age and the beginning of the next. This is who we are and this is the world we live in and this is who we're called to be in the kingdom. Forerunners looking to the end of the age and the age to come. Everybody else lives for the end of the day, the end of the week, their vacation, and their retirement. Live for the end of the age. Live for the return of the Lord. Live for the age to come. Now, Isaiah 62, you know this. You know this one. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent and give him no rest till he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. This has become one of the most defining scriptures for me over the last decade out of any in the Bible. It has given me such clarity as to what God has narrowly called us to as a people, what he's narrowly called me to as a, as, as a person, as a Christian, as a minister. He has called us to night and day prayer. Now, here's the thing. I was going along minding my own business. I had a nice little youth ministry. I had a nice little traveling ministry. I was very comfortable. Things were going well. And God disrupted me. He upset my apple cart and put me on a left turn that I haven't recovered from. When I had first heard in 1999 that there was a, a house of prayer in Kansas City and Mike Bickle was going to lead this 24-hour house of prayer, I thought that is the most foolish idea I can ever dream that anybody would ever want to do. Who would lead 24-7 prayer? What kind of nincompoop would do that? And I thought to myself, dear Lord, another good guy in the ministry has lost his mind. Fast forward to 2003, and he is me. Lost my mind, said yes to the Lord, left turned me. I go spend a year in Kansas City. We come back, we plant the house of prayer. By 2006, it's 24-7. Beloved, I was the most shocked one. And here we are, 2012, and we are six and a half years, been 24-7. You know what God has done to us? He has set watchmen on the wall. 
You know what that little testimony from Anna was and that prayer we gave? That was about this that he prophesied through Isaiah, that God has already done it. He says, I have set them. It's already in his mind. It's already his plan. Because in the previous five verses, what is he saying? He's saying, I am going to do something to Israel that you can't imagine. I'm going to make Israel burning in righteousness. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to purchase her salvation. I'm going to see to it that Israel is a burning and shining lamp, a very diadem in the hand of the king. And I go, I love that plan, Lord. Now, how are you going to make that plan happen? Because mostly, I don't know if you've noticed, God, most of Israel are atheistic, agnostic at best, and they don't love Jesus. So I'm for your plan, but I don't know how you're going to make the Jews all burn for Jesus and righteousness. He says, verse 6, I've already done it. You've already done what? He goes, I've already done the plan. This is an already established reality in the mind of the Lord. He goes, I've already done it. I said, done what? He goes, I've already set the watchmen on the walls for Jerusalem. And they will not hold their peace day or night. And if you look at verse 1, the Lord goes, I will not hold my peace. And he goes, and I've got a people that I'm raising up throughout the earth that will not hold their peace. God goes, I won't be quiet. I won't rest. I won't shut up. And I won't rest over this issue. Israel will love my son. I go, I love that plan, Lord. How are you going to do it? He goes, night and day prayer all over the earth. I've already set the watchman in place. I've already dreamed about it, Billy. I already thought about it from a million years ago. There will be a global prayer movement. There will be watchmen in communities. Notice it's plural, watchmen. Watchmen in communities that will cry out day and night. They won't hold their peace. They will give themselves no rest. They will burn with the very zeal that's in my own heart. They will cry out in intercession. And then I will make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Because that's what I'm doing. Beloved, Jerusalem a praise in the earth and, and then the end shall come are synonymous. Jerusalem doesn't become a praise just because all Israel gets saved. That's going to happen. But Jerusalem becomes a praise because the praiseworthy one is dwelling in her midst. Jesus Christ returned to the planet, ruling the earth from Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem shall be a praise. Beloved, do you know how incredible and how scary it is that night and day prayer is breaking across the globe right now? It's breaking forth across the globe. It's never happened. It's never happened in the history of the church. It's never happened until now. I got to tell you this testimony. I met a guy in Kansas City, and I meet guys all the time. And they, want, they ask me all the same question. How'd you do it? What'd you do? And half the time, the guys, they don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what they're even wanting to do. They just, they think they want to build a house of prayer. And really what they want is a coffee shop with a cool bookstore. They don't know. So they're coming to go, How, how'd you do it? And I, and I go, well, what are you going to do? They go, we're going to do a coffee shop. I go, just don't, just don't. Do a prayer meeting with a guitar with four strings and whatever. <laughs> just start prayer meetings. And they go, huh? I go, yes, prayer meetings, house of prayer. <laughs> Not house of coffee, come on. And so I'm meeting with this guy in Kansas City and it's 2009. And it's one of those conversations. And the guy's telling me he wants to start a house of prayer and he's got this whole story. And, and I sat with him for an hour and a half and I explain a bunch of stuff to him and give him a roadmap if he wants to start one, what he's got to do. I get a phone call from the guy about three weeks later and he's telling me that he's been fired from his church because he said he wanted to do a house of prayer. So that's one way to get an exit card. And simultaneously, another church has given him their building. Another pastor in the city said, I heard you got fired and that you want to do a house of prayer. He goes, well, what I want to do is submit myself to you. I'll get on your staff. You can have my facility. And then in about five years, I'll go plant a church somewhere else. And it's you. And the pastor actually did it. Gave him the building and everything. And that was the last I heard of him. I forgot the guy's name. Forgot his name, honestly. So I keep hearing about this guy that's in the Northeast named Gary who's building this house of prayer that's got lots of energy on it. And I keep hearing about Gary and he's really doing something great and they're adding a lot of people, adding a lot of hours and all this stuff. Well, when I'm in uh, uh, California last weekend, there's this guy, Gary, who I've heard of. I said, man, I've been wanting to meet him. They go, Billy, you already met him. 
I go, I did? They go, yeah. He said that you sat down and talked to him for hours on how to plan a house of prayer. I went, New Jersey? He goes, yeah, that's him. I went, oh, no way. This guy in two years, his house of prayer has exploded. They have 150 hours a week in two years. They are 18 hours away from being 24-7, live worship and prayer. I'm not talking about having a CD going or an MP. They have staff. They have missionaries. They have interns. The Lord is breathing on it. They're they're about this far away from having a 24-7 house of prayer in New Jersey right now. Fredericksburg Prayer Furnace. They're about this far away from being 24-7 in Fredericksburg. Cuernavaca, Mexico. They're about this far away from being 24-7 as a hub to the entire Central American region. Beloved, something is going on. We've been watching for seven years. No one else be able to get a house of prayer really going. And right now, we are on the verge of seeing about four or five popped 24-7 across the nations. And that's just the ones we know of. This thing has got such momentum on it. I'm looking around going, Lord, what are you doing? He goes, I already said what I was doing. I've already done it. I've set watchmen on the wall. I've already done it, Billy. I've already done it. I go, wait a minute. It's almost like you've got a plan here. (laughs) Almost like you're going to do like night and day prayer and gospel to the nations. You're going to like do them together. Huh? Well, you know, it's, only, it's been about a decade and we've been hearing this idea of divine convergence. What it means is prayer and missions being on the same page. And about five years ago, you really started hearing. And I remember in 2010, I got invited to YWAM in Kona, which is their Pacific Rim headquarters, University of the Nations. And I got to speak at the YWAM headquarters. And I spoke to a thousand people on the campus. And they said, you know, you're the only other guy besides Mike Bickle that we've allowed to come in here. That's, you know, and I happen to speak to the whole campus. And I was, this is such a cool thing. I'm just a little bit rambling, but let me just give you this one. I'm standing there. And for whatever reason, the week that I'm there, there's 350 South Korean pastors. And see, I've always kind of thought that the reason that we have a prayer movement today, it's because of the South Koreans who have given themselves to prayer since 1965, 1970. I mean, they have had so much prayer come out of South Korea. And what I see, it's like incense that's gone up and it's showered the earth and now a harvest of intercession is rising. And I got to stand in front of 350 South Korean pastors and I said, thank you. Thank you for your labors in intercession because who I am today undoubtedly is as a result of who you have been for the last 30 and 40 years. Thank you. We owe a debt of gratitude to the South Koreans. And I got to say the 350 pastors. And then I got to share about Isaiah 62 at YWAM. And I said, now, if you feel like the Lord wants wants you to give yourself to night and day prayer and the gospel of the nations, come forward. Shaboom, the whole place comes forward. I go, come Holy Spirit. Shabam, the power of God hits everything. It's like electric. I was like, this is awesome. 2010, so we're saying now it's really on. Divine convergence is really happening. YWAM and IHOP and prayer movement people and missions people are all together happening. More and more and more and more on the earth. And we go, yeah, we're on this new thing called this divine convergence of prayer and mission. And God goes, um, excuse me, taps on the shoulder. He goes, I've actually been thinking about this all along. I've actually had this idea all along. Prayer and missions together has actually been my idea. It's actually been Matthew 24, 14 and Isaiah 62, 6 and 7 actually at the same time. And he goes, and let me just show you another verse. Now let me just take you to that one. Isaiah 42. Because I've resonated with Isaiah 62, 6 and 7. But Isaiah 42, oh, it gives us another facet that's so cool. You thought, man, I'm just going to go to church this morning, maybe get a little worship. I'm like, Jesus is coming back now. You're like, dear Lord. That's right. I don't feel sorry for you. You showed up. You deserve this. Show up. To a place of praise all day. Never know what might happen. Okay, Isaiah 42. Let me give you the first nine verses. Just the, the headline is, 
First nine verses of Isaiah 42 is Jesus is God's chosen messenger to bring forth justice to the nations. And he's serious about it. That's first nine verses. I'm just giving you context. He goes, I am coming and I will bring justice everywhere. Justice is not an act. Justice is a man. His name is Jesus. And when Jesus comes, he will release justice all across the nations. Every wrong will be made right. Jesus Christ, his throne is established on righteousness and justice. Justice will go forth like a mighty river. That's the context. Verse 10. I go, good, good. Justice is going to happen. How is justice going to happen? Verse 10. Sing. I go, God, you're cool, but like, I mean, I would have thought you would have come up with something way more creative than sing. He goes, sing to the Lord a new song. And his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you coastlands and you inhabitants of them, let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voices. He's going to say, the villages that Kedar inhabits, that's wilderness. Let the inhabitants of Selah sing. Selah, the inhabitants of Selah means those who dwell in mountains. And he's going to give us another phrase on that. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Twelve, let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. (laughs) And so he says, all over the earth, sing. In the wilderness, in the mountains, in the coastlands, by the sea, sing, 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 sing a new song. I go, huh, so you want a a global worship movement? He goes, that's right. You want it to be singing? He goes, yep. You're going to bring justice to the nations... And the way you're going to bring justice is your people all across the nations singing. Huh. He goes, that's right. He goes, look what happens when you sing. Look what happens when the nations sing. Verse 13. The Lord shall go forth like a mighty man. He shall stir up his zeal like a man of war. He will cry out, yes, shout aloud. He shall prevail against his enemies. Verse 14, I have held my peace a long time. Beloved, the Lord has watched injustice throughout the nations of the earth, and he has held back. He has waited. Because there's a day coming when he's going to vindicate. Every last wrong will be made right. Every injustice will be rectified. He will bring justice to the nations. He says, I have held my peace a long time. I have been still and restrained myself. But now I will cry like a woman in labor. I will pant and gasp at once. And the chapter goes on and talks about how he will lay waste every one of his enemies and he will trodden the nations. He will take rulership of the earth. What is this talking about? It's talking about Jesus' return. All you moms, God bless you. I've been ringside at the birth of four babies, but ringside has, is nothing like being in the pilot seat. And you ladies know something that no man will ever know except for Jesus because he's given a testimony in the birth of a baby and the panting and the gasping and the intensity of the birthing that goes forth. And he says, I am going to put an emblem in creation, the most intense thing you can imagine. He goes, and that is a sign of my reaction to the global new song. I will unleash my justice on the nations, even like a woman in labor. Beloved, I don't know if you know what it looks like when God goes in labor, but I'm telling you, it's going to be intense. He says, I'm going to go forth like a mighty man of war. I am going to go forth like a mighty man of war. When Jesus returns to the nations, he's returning to end a military conflict. He's returning to drive the usurper off the globe. He's returning to end the reign of Antichrist and set up his kingdom in Jerusalem. When Jesus returns, he will bring justice. What's the mechanism? Singing. Singing? Singing. I go, what? Hold on. He goes, I love it when she sings to me. 
I love it when my wife sings. And when she sings across the nations, there's going to be something that happens in my heart that the earth has never seen. I will explode in justice. Beloved, proclamation to the ends of the earth. Prayer, night and day, with worship. We used to think those guys all were in different meetings. We used to think the evangelists were over here, the prayer people were over here, and the flag waver worshiper people were over here. This guy is this guy is this guy. This is what he's doing throughout the nations, beloved. It's always been God's plan. Prayer, worship, and proclamation together. Sounds like Anna, the testimony from the scripture. Night and day for 60 years, prophesying, proclaiming, preaching Jesus. Sounds like that's what he's doing in the earth. Beloved, it's always been his idea. This is how he's wrapping up the age. You know what's the wildest part? Anybody with their eyes halfway open cannot ignore the global worship movement the global prayer movement, and the global missions movement that are ripening in the earth at a way that has never been in history. This is where we are, beloved. And I love it because this, think of this. In his throne, it's night and day worship, isn't it? He loves the atmosphere of night and day worship. He governs from the atmosphere of night and day worship, doesn't he? You know what he's doing. He's releasing night and day worship on the earth because he's just setting the atmosphere for the way he likes it. <laughs> he's going to come and reign on the earth. So all he's doing is transitioning the atmosphere of worship on the earth to something that he really enjoys before he comes. He's just preparing the place. He's preparing it for his leadership. One last verse, guys. One last one. Isaiah 24. So it's prayer, worship, and proclamation together. It's Matthew 24 with Isaiah 62 with Isaiah 42 together. Now remember Isaiah 42 said they'll sing what? A new song. They'll sing what? A new song. Isaiah 24. Oh, I love it. Isaiah 24, verse 14. I need you to get the NIV version ready. Can you get the NIV version ready for me? All right. Isaiah 24, verse 14. They shall lift up their voice and they shall sing. For the majesty of the Lord, they shall cry aloud. Now look at this phrase, from the sea. From the sea. This is actually a direction on the compass. It's, the commentators will tell you it's not specifically talking about the Mediterranean or the Dead Sea. It's actually speaking of a compass direction. They shall cry aloud from the sea. Verse 15. Therefore, glorify the Lord in the dawning light. Dawning light. Again, another direction on the compass. Now, where does the sun rise? In the east. Therefore, glorify the Lord in the dawning light. The name of the Lord God of Israel in the coastlands of the sea. From the ends of the earth, we've heard songs. Glory to the righteous one. They're talking about this song, this new song that's going to be sung. You're going to hear it all over the earth, and the Lord's even kind enough to give us a part of the chorus. Glory to the righteous one. Now, can you bring up verse 14 in the NIV for me? They raise their voices, they shout for joy. That's where the NKJV says they will sing, and they shall glorify the Lord. Where? Say it. From the west. Acclaim the Lord's majesty. Verse 15. Therefore in the east. 
glorify the Lord. What am I telling you this is saying? This is all in an end time context. If you read Isaiah 24 in context, this is the end of the age. It's clear as a bell. What this is saying is this. There is a worship movement that's going to arise in the west. In the west of the earth. And it is going to release something in the nations that's going to cause those in the east to glorify the Lord. Beloved, if you look, where is America? We're in the west. Where's the 1040 window from here? You know what's the craziest little point about it? Because when I first saw this verse, I went and drew a line from Atlanta. Do you know that if you draw a line (laughs) due east from Atlanta, you hit Jerusalem? Come on now. (laughs) Yeah, I'm bold enough to say this, that God at the end of the age, by the scripture, I don't even have to look at what's happening in, in America. Let's just look at the scripture. God is going to raise up a Western worship movement, a worship movement in the West that's going to be released across the nations of the earth and it's going to cause people in the East to glorify the Lord. You can fill in the blanks on who that is, but I will tell you that right now you are sitting in a place that's in the West that does 24-7 worship and what have we been talking about? Who have we been talking about that's going to get launched into the 1040 window? A hundred thousand missionaries from where? I'm not good enough to make this stuff up. I'm telling you. The testimony of the scripture is so clear. And I'm looking at it and I'm saying, Lord, is this what you're doing? Is this what you're doing? He goes, just keep doing what I've asked you to do, son. I have a plan. And all I know is I think that I see probably 0.5 of one out of 100 digits on the plan. But beloved, I want to tell you the 0.5 is exciting. This is what we're into. This is where we're at. We're at this moment of convergence, mission and prayer. Why? Because the missions guys thought it was a good idea to shake hands with the house of prayer guys. Well, yes, but no, no. The reason why is because God's been planning this all along. This isn't the new idea. This is the old idea. We're just dull enough <laughs> to you know, have this thing happen and we start getting in on it and we go, wow, what a great idea we came up with. God goes, it's been there all along. It's been the plan the whole time. This is where we are. This is why you're here. This is why we exist. This is why the Lord flipped a switch in my heart when I was in China in March. And he told me, emphasize the gospel. Emphasize mission. Emphasize it. I'm like, but Lord, we've got to pray night and day. I've got to gather people to a prayer room where we do 24-7. He said, son, if you will see to the sending, I will see to the gathering. And I stood here on a Tuesday and I said, before our staff... I said, I covenant with the Lord to launch everybody to the missions, everybody that the Lord wants sent. I will launch every last one of them. I will send every person God sends us to be sent. I'm gonna let the Lord see to the gathering and we will see to the sending. It's exactly backwards of how I had it before. Because I do believe people have to be sent by God. I'm not trying to say, I'm gonna tell people where to go and just send them. I believe God's got to send somebody, but when I see the kiss of the Lord on sending somebody, I want to facilitate that. I want to launch them to the nations. Why? Because that's what's going on. That's what the Bible says is going on. Beloved, we have, a, we have the best seats in the house on this thing. Somehow the Lord has seen to it that we get to get in on this. And even if our portion is point. Oh, 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 one. I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful. I want to be about what he's about and I, I just want to be in his story. He has a story. I just want to get in on his story. Amen. Amen. Let's just stand. Next week, I'm going to talk about how 
the Lord is positioning us and what's going on here and some of the crazy things that we're doing. I felt like, I feel like we've caught the tiger by the tail. And the truth is we've caught the lion by the tail. The lion is getting ready to run. So the question just becomes for us, what is our portion in the story? You're here, you're part of the community. What's your portion? How does the Lord want you to connect? I want to be in on his story, beloved. Let's just ask Holy Spirit to come and speak to us right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we see that you're doing something in the earth. We don't comprehend everything you're doing. Lord, I by no means understand all of it. I I don't understand not even a fraction. But what you've shown me, God, is enough to make my heart thrill. So I want to say yes. And I want that, God, to be our corporate response as a community. We'd say yes to what you're doing with prayer and mission. Yes to what you're doing in the nations. You've given us a mandate of night and day prayer. But I now see, God, that it's as a catapult. It's because you're worthy. And it's what you want to cover the nations with. You want to send mission, missionaries. You want to send messengers with a forerunner message who will worship you day and night and declare the majesty of the Lord. From the west to the east, it's always been in your mind. It's always been in your mind. So come, Lord. Come, Lord. Show us our portion. Show us our portion. I pray, make it clear to us. Some of you, God has a portion for you in the nations. Some of you, he has a portion for you in the house of prayer. Some of you, he has a portion for you in the house of prayer and then to the nations. Some of you, your portion is to work a vocation and launch people. Some of you, it is to be vocation uh, missionaries. Vocational missionaries. Regardless, all of us have a portion to bring. Make it clear to us, Lord. Make it clear.